Ariel Hawani's MMA show is presented by Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Hey there, friends. It's Ariel Hawani here on this Wednesday afternoon. Welcome back to the program. We got another great pod lined up for all of you. We're talking all things UFC 250 and other stuff as well. We got Felicia Spencer, who's fighting in the main event. We've got Corey Sanhagen and Aljamain Sterling, who are competing in the People's Main Event on Saturday night. And we'll talk to Tyron Woodley as well, coming off his loss to Gilbert Burns. But before we get to all of that, as you know, UFC 250 starts off the June sports calendar with a bang. The fighters are eager to get into the octagon, and your friends over at DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of the action with a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with your first deposit. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is super easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. Yes, I said $1 million. Because nothing makes a UFC event more exciting than when you have skin in the game with DraftKings. And for a limited time, DraftKings is offering both new and existing users a deposit bonus of up to $500. So right now, download the DraftKings app and use promo code Ariel, A-R-I-E-L, to get a free shot at the million dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code Ariel to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Also, I know a guy who would love to use something like DraftKings. That's my man, Scott Van Pelt, the legend himself, SVP. He loves gambling. He talks about it all the time. He also does it once a week, every week on his podcast, the SV Pod. It's a really good show. I suggest you check it out wherever you get your podcast. He's not allowed to swear, though, on that podcast, but we are. So a reminder that today's episode contains language that may not be suitable for all audiences, so listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Back in your life on this Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. Hello again, everyone. It's Ariel Hawani. Welcome back to the program. As always, we are presented by our good friends over at Modelo. Modelo Especial. Rude for those with a fighting spirit. A lot to discuss on today's show, and it's amazing. Four years ago today, the great Muhammad Ali passed away. I'll never forget that weekend, UFC 199 weekend in uh, Los Angeles. I was at a Los Angeles Dodgers game with my good friend Zeus. We uh, found out about it, and uh, it was crazy to see the coverage. I wasn't working for ESPN at the time, but amazing to see the coverage from the likes of Bob Lee and Jeremy Schapp. The wall-to-wall coverage overnight, it was it was unbelievable. It was mesmerizing. And, of course, I'll never forget UFC 199 as well. A lot has happened since then, four years. Wow, time flies. And now today we're getting ready for UFC 250. It goes down on Saturday back at the Apex in Las Vegas. And on today's program, we'll focus a lot on 250, but we'll also look back at last weekend in Las Vegas. So end of the show, we'll talk to Tyron Woodley, not only about what happened in his fight against Gilbert Burns and where he goes from here, but also, of course, about what's happening not only in this country, but all across the world, stemming from the 
death of George Floyd. We'll talk about the protests. We'll talk about uh, where we go from here. We'll talk about everything going on. Obviously, Tyron Woodley, who uh, grew up in Ferguson, Missouri, has a lot of thoughts on these things, and it's going to be great to uh, to connect with him on all this. So I'm looking forward to that very much. And as he said on Saturday, he doesn't just show up when he wins. He shows up when he loses as well. And uh, I don't know how you can't respect someone who has that mindset. We'll also talk to Corey Sanhagen, who has a huge fight, obviously, coming up against Aljamain Sterling. In my opinion, it's the people's main event. The winner of this fight should be next in line for a title shot at 135. In fact, I think this fight should have been for the vacant title. It's not, but in my opinion, outside of the main event, and maybe even more so than the main event, it's the most interesting fight on this sneaky good card. May not be stacked as far as A plus names, but it's sneaky good with names like Sanhagen, Sterling, of course, Nunez, Spencer. You got Sugar Sean O'Malley returning and others as well, Brian Keller. So I'm looking forward to it. And of course, we'll also talk to Aljamain Sterling, as I mentioned at the top, about his road back to the UFC, about everything that he has uh, been through as of late with the pandemic, and about whether or not he should be next in line for a title shot with a win. But first, Let us start with the pride of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Let us start with the woman who is going into Saturday night as a four to one underdog. Let us start with the woman who expects to defeat the goat, Amanda Nunez. Let us start off with the great Felicia Spencer, the former Invicta FC featherweight champion, no stranger to title fights. This, of course, her first one in the UFC. Always a pleasure to talk to her. She leads us off today on the show. It's great to talk to you. So this is big. First UFC pay-per-view main event, title fight against Nunez, the consensus GOAT. Here we are four days before the fight. Can you describe the emotions, the feelings going through your body right now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, in my career, it's always been like big jumps and like huge moments that just keep happening. You know, for me, even the Invicta title, having that opportunity was, it felt like this. Like it feels... Like I've, I've been, I've been in this position before, you know, I've seen myself on the billboard before. Uh, But obviously this is like, doesn't get any higher than this because this is the pinnacle, you know, like there's no belt higher than the UFC belt. So, um, so it's kind of a familiar feeling, but I know the stakes are are even bigger. Uh, But for me, I know that the, you know, everything that goes into fight week and, and after fight week, like that's kind of like a separate thing in my mind because I know my number one focus is, doing my job, which is beating Amanda Nunez on Saturday, which is exactly what I intend to do. So it's interesting that you mentioned the Invicta days because I actually feel like the setup for this fight is going to benefit you in the sense that, yes, this is your first UFC pay-per-view main event, but no one's going to be there. There's not going to be that extra buzz and tension and hoopla surrounding a UFC pay-per-view main event. And you can just kind of go in there and do your thing. You have nothing to lose, right? I, I feel like in some cases, the fact that there are no fans helps fighters in these in these fights right now and sometimes it hurts them as well but in your case I actually feel like it's going to help you am I crazy no I I definitely see where you're coming from I was just telling someone else like uh we saw perfectly probably in like the Gaethje Tony fight where I think you mentioned that you know Tony probably thrives more on having the audience and Gaethje probably benefited from not having it and I think I'm I'm probably more like uh more like the latter the more it feels like a gym day like a regular day the more I'll be like in my own rhythm you know when I'm feeling loose, then I'll have my best performances, you know, like my best performances have always been in the gym. <laughs> so, uh, when it, you know, we do, we do sessions, especially during the quarantine and since everything was, you know, we've been preparing for this. Um, you know, I do, I do sessions that are quiet, you know, so it's like just, just hearing, hearing the leather, you know, hearing the, the bodies hit different, you know, hit the ground or hit, hit each other. 
um, with with no music, no one there. Gym is empty, just a coach talking. So, um, I yeah, I really feel like I feel like I'll I'll appreciate the the new environment, and I think it'll I'll thrive in it. Are you the kind of fighter who gets nervous before fights in the locker room moments before? Uh, well, there's always like a little roller coaster, you know. I don't, I don't think, it, I don't get crippling nervousness or anxiety or anything. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, I always, it's always most, um, most anxiety about like the first moment of the fight because after that first moment, then it's like okay, then you know, you can feel each other out and everything after like the first five seconds, and I'm like okay. <laughs> so, um, but I, I really, I, I really walk in just focused on what I need to do, focus on my opponent, and try not to let anything else really sink in. So, On the flip side, this is your first time fighting in the UFC in Las Vegas. This is your first fight in Las Vegas, period, right? I actually had my Tough Enough amateur uh, ah. title in, in Vegas, so I, I came here twice as an amateur to win that belt, uh, which won me the Invicta contract. So, it's um, again, it feels like very similar. Like yeah. I feel like I've been in circumstances that – felt so big even though in in hindsight like those moments compared to this are nothing but at the time with my experiences that was a huge moment for me uh, coming to Vegas and fighting for a belt you know with with high stakes for me at the time so so yeah everything just every experience I've had I feel like led me to this moment and and I'm ready to capitalize on it and take it now initially this fight was supposed to happen May 9th in Brazil do you remember time frame wise when you were first offered this fight you know how long have you been actually preparing we know that you fought in late february in virginia how soon after did you start preparing for may 9th pretty much the next day okay <laughs> um i mean I, I was i did go back to the gym that week the following week after my fight um and i had already been contacted by the fc and honestly that whole fight week before i even fought it was all about hey what if you fight amanda after this so it was it was always there and I'm not sure if it was Amanda or someone throughout the date of Brazil being May 9th during that fight week. So it was always kind of like in my head, like, I'm probably going to, you know, my intention is to win this fight. And then that sounds like the date that they want to do. So I'm probably going to fight again real soon. <laughs> so um, that was, I think, 10 weeks after my previous fight. So I had like a couple weeks where I was training, but not like fully dived into camp. And then after that two week mark, I was right back into full camp getting ready for Amanda we had already signed the contracts and everything and and then it just got extended a little bit but it, you know it all um things got a little weird during the middle of it but but we found solutions to every obstacle so yeah so that's what I was getting at once you found out that it wasn't happening May 9th and it would be extended was that that in addition to the fact that gyms were closing you know the lockdown quarantine all that stuff how challenging was it to prepare for the biggest fight of your life uh, well, like I said, we, we don't just look at, the, we don't look at problems. We look at solutions. Like, you know, we don't dwell on like things we can't control. The team around me is really good at, okay, well, what, what do I need to do? I need to have a body to train with. So I picked actually two training partners, um, that we semi quarantine. Like we didn't live together, but we had a conversation like, Hey, we're going to be responsible for ourselves outside and, and follow all the protocols, but we are going to come together and train every day for an hour and, and, you know, hold each other accountable. Um, so luckily I was able to get into the gym as it was closed for everyone. I was able to get in and do my session, clean up, leave, you know, shut the lights off and leave. So, um, so luckily I had a really supportive group of people around me. We were able to, like I said, 
everyone bent over backwards to make this happen. So, so when it got postponed, like I was, I was always kind of like flexible with my mindset, like, Hey, this might not happen, but I'm planning on it happening. My team was like, what? No, like we've been, you know, we can make this happen. Everyone can make this happen. But, but I was, I was a little bit understanding, but um, you know, especially being in the champs position, like, you know, when she wanted a little bit more time for her reasons, then, you know, there's more riding for her, you know, losing a belt than me trying to get that opportunity. So I understood, but uh, it was kind of a bummer at first to uh, get it postponed. Um, so I was worried about like overtraining for a very split second, but then immediately I'm like, why am I going to, why am I going to stress about that? I just need to find a solution. So I'm just going to train smart, listen to my body, recover as I need to. And honestly, the last four weeks, I feel like made, made me so much better. So, so I'm kind of glad that it got extended. When you talk about problems and solutions, I'm reminded of your, uh, your other job as a math teacher, and we will get to that in a moment. <laughs> but um, I mean, silver lining has to be, you don't have to go to Brazil, right? You don't have to fight her on her home turf. You're now fighting in Vegas. This is way, I mean, probably the most ideal scenario would have been fighting in Florida, which is where you live, the state that you live in, but Vegas way better than Brazil, right? Um, I was excited, you know, to go to Brazil, but it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it would have been uh, a very different experience fight week, you know, being there and fight night. Um, but it, you know, I don't, I don't really let crowds get to me or anything. So if they were booing me, like, I don't care. I've been, I've been booed before by a whole audience. Like, it's not a big deal. How are you so nice, Felicia Spencer? And 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 you're an MMA fighter who's nine and one. What pisses you off? What gets you mad? <laughs> um, you know. What I don't know what makes me mad. <laughs> you got to have a pet peeve, um, something that really gets under your skin. I guess mostly like when I'm hungry and and little things happen, then I'll get a little hangry. But um, I mean, just I mean like normal things that people would get upset about in in life, you know. But I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty level headed, and for the most part, like I can take a step back from situation and be like, you know, see the other side of of every uh, coin, you know. So, um, I don't know. Do you, anything comes to mind? What makes me mad? Not following the rules. <laughs> okay. And that's your husband, uh, yeah. of course. It's a trick right. question, by the way. We don't want to get him in right. trouble. Um, <laughs> but no, it seems like you're very easygoing. And, and I remember. Oh, actually, I got one. When he drives up the wrong way of a parking lot, you know, like the arrows go one way. Yes. And he goes the other way to find it just to back into the wrong spot. And that's going to drive me crazy too, right? Wow. I mean, I don't know if I'd put <laughs> oh, that at man. the top of my list, but uh. Uh, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yes. It could cause an accident. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the first times we spoke, we talked about the fact that you're also a math teacher, but I found out recently, courtesy of you, that you're no longer a math teacher. You were teaching, you were a virtual math teacher for grades six through 12. And dare I say, this might be the greatest time ever to be a virtual math teacher because everyone is doing school virtually. Yeah. Why did you walk away from that job just a month ago? Um, yeah, it, it, man, it, the timing of it was definitely weird and um, virtual classes are booming, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, but ever, you know, ever, ever since starting fighting and everything, I was always like, oh, you know, when I make it to the UFC, I'll probably be able to quit my job and, and you know, just focus on fighting. And then when I got to the UFC, I was like, you know, I can make this work. Like, a lot of people, but you know, have a job and fight. You can't train eight hours a day or anything. So, you know, I was I was balancing it well. I felt I felt good about what I was doing. Uh, when I came into the possibility of fighting for the title, I had that kind of feeling again. Like, man, I really want to be able to just fully focus um, every part of my day on 
not just training, but like recovery and just not being like stressed about timing. And cause I was living on a schedule, like every 15 minutes of my day was like, call this person call you know, diff- every 15 minutes had a plan, you know? So it was exhausting at times, but I was, you know, I'm always up for the challenge. Um, and, and also just like that security of having, having a good, you know, good, uh, income benefits. That was a big thing. Um, but I was, I felt like it was a good time for me to just step away. I took a leave of absence first. Uh, it was planned around my May 9th fight and I was going to contemplate going back or not after. But then when it got postponed, I reached out to them and said, Hey, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to be returning. Like I'm going to, whatever happens, I'm going to pursue the opportunities that come. And, and I feel like having more time uh, available to me, I might get new opportunities um, in this fight world, you know? So uh, so I just felt like it was time and I can always go back to teaching, but I can't, I can't come back to this later. So. Right. I've been having a lot of trouble with my son doing his uh, virtual math classes. So perhaps, <laughs> you know, after uh, everything goes well for you on Saturday, you can give me a few pointers on that. Cause it's really becoming <laughs> a big strain <laughs> on our virtual, lives. Uh, tutoring. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's becoming a big problem. Um, Amanda obviously is incredible. She's on an amazing run. She's defeated every single person who has ever held the 135 or 145 title in the UFC. And she's done so for the most part emphatically. In your opinion, though, what's her greatest weakness? Oh, she's fighting me. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I feel like she, like you said, she's, she's the goat for a reason. You know, she's got amazing everything. She's, she's very well-rounded. Uh, but I think my, I feel like my style and just my, like my pressure and just how I fight will, will just be too much over time. I don't, I, you know, I always want a first round finish, but I, I don't expect, I feel like this is going to be a longer fight. Um, my, I can see it being done before the five rounds, but if it needs to be a five round grinding, you know, hard fight, then it'll happen and I'm ready for it. And I, I feel like I can keep that pace throughout the whole five rounds and, and show, make her feel things that she hasn't felt. Cause I'm kind of, kind of different, kind of, I feel like I'm a little bit awkward in, in some of my, you know, um, my movements, but it's, it's comfortable to me. And I think other people haven't seen a lot of it. Um, yeah, I just feel like I can not just, I don't want to say I'm just going to outlast her. I feel like my skills are just going to find the holes in hers. Um, I, I had a, I had a really good way to put that brewing in my head earlier and I forgot about it. But, <laughs> um, well, 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 you know, yeah. a lot of people have said, Hey, in her last fight against Jermaine Durandamy, once the fight got on the ground, she didn't look that great. And of course, Jermaine's strength isn't on the ground. And so they say, right. what happens if it goes on the ground against Felicia, who's very good on the ground is a black belt. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like she exposed herself in her last fight that maybe the striking is great, but there are a few holes there on the ground. I feel like, it shows that she can have a bad night on the ground, you know, but I don't think I never look at a, a like a low light performance, you know, or like something negative about performance as the full story of her skill set, because I know that she's also had great nights on the ground, you know, so, but it does show that it's, she's, that there is a vulnerable time, you know, and, and she might, she might have a similar night or I'm expecting the best version of Amanda to show up. Um, so, I, you know, I don't anticipate, Hopefully I'll fully dominate, but I don't anticipate being fully dominant the whole fight, but I am anticipating winning every round and finding a way, you know, to uh, adjust. I feel like I can adapt. Uh, I feel like I can adapt better than, than most people can. Um, and I'll, I'll be able to kind of work my way around to find, find a way to win every round. Um, like I said, 
looking at people bring up like Kat's fight and Jermaine's fight. And it's like, some of those are a long time ago. And I don't, I take the low stuff with a grain of salt. And, um, and I just know that no one, no one really shows the best of their skill set on fight night either. Um, so I know there's a lot more to, to everyone's game than what we actually see. You're two and one in the UFC. And your one loss was to Chris Cyborg in Edmonton of last year. And I've said time again, I want to get your thoughts on this. I want to know if you agree. I've said that your most impressive performance was against Chris Cyborg because of the fact that you weren't intimidated. You walked her down. You kept on coming. Yes, you lost. But we're talking Chris Cyborg here, who some people lose that fight before the fight even starts. And you just, you showed off your toughness, your chin, your durability, as you said, your cardio. And it just was so impressive to see someone who is so young like yourself, who hasn't had as many fights as her, clearly, um, just not be phased by who Chris Cyborg is. Am I crazy for saying something like that? Like, is, do you take that as an insult? Like, your lone pro loss is your most impressive performance. Is that weird? No, I think uh, it kind of felt it kind of felt like the support and like all the you know all the love I got after that fight was kind of surprising, but it definitely made me feel like people appreciated the performance and. You know, that's, that's what I'm here to do. You know, win or lose, I want people to wa- want to watch me fight. You know, that's that's how we're going to build a division. That's how I'm going to get where I need to be. Um, I, I definitely took a lot from that fight, and it was uh, – I almost almost surprised myself with how – yeah, just like how comfortable in the situation I felt. But I really – I knew I would be – I knew I'd be fine. I knew I'd be mentally in it, and, and I just – yeah, I don't, I don't really get, like, intimidated or um, – size doesn't really intimidate me or, or the aura of, you know, invincibility. I know everyone's human that I'm standing in front of, in front of. So um, yeah, I just, nothing phases me, I guess. <laughs> when GSP won the UFC title for the first time in 2006, were you watching MMA back then? Do you have any memories of that? I did not watch. I was, I was more, um, I think around like 2009 was more when I started to watch. I think actually my first, fight that I watched was um Anderson I think Anderson and Forrest Griffin was that that was okay. a fight right yeah yep. I think UFC that was the first pay-per-view I watched with like my grappling friends because I trained for a long time but I didn't really like I didn't train MMA at that time I just did jiu-jitsu taekwondo kickboxing but kind of not you know separately um that was the first time I went to friend's house saw the event and started to watch from there pretty much so uh, once you found out about George, who at the time was champion again, he defeated uh, Matt Serra to regain the title. Did you feel any sort of kinship towards him because he's from your hometown? And again, oh, yeah. I know, I know you're For you're sure. <laughs> living in Orlando now and proud of of your roots there. But because he's such a famous guy from your hometown, did you feel a connection to him? For sure, and like even just hearing him talk, you know, like the accent. I'm like, man, I miss. And when I go yeah. visit, you know, or talk to a family, it's like, that's the accent. Yep. That's he's Quebecer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely, he was definitely like my favorite and, um, you know, still, still, you know, a hometown hero or a national hero, you know, he'll never be, uh, anything but that. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, he was definitely a favorite as I was able to watch him fight and, uh, grew into the sport. Have you ever met him? No. Wow. (laughs) I would love, yeah, that'd be, that would be cool. That would be really cool. It's, it's very, um, surreal to have people like a lot, especially during this, this, uh, you know, lead up to this fight, people are like putting my name next to his name a lot, you know, in the same sentence. And it's kind of crazy to, uh, you know, to hear that, like, you know, I think of the first Canadian to fight for a title since him 
yep. I think, um, yep. first female, you know, that kind of thing. So just, uh, yeah, just hearing sentences like that, just, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to take the, the belt on a tour to Canada and, and stop by and, and uh, take a picture with GSP. <laughs> And I know that for Amanda fighting a 145, um, there's not as much of a struggle on fight week cutting weight um, as she does when she fights at 135. For you, how tough is fight week in terms of the weight cut? You know, we we really have it. I, I I've done it a lot, so it's really down to just getting it done. Like it's it's not fun, but this is the best weight cut I've ever had for sure. I mean, honestly, the the, the extra four weeks just made me even, even more prepared and ready for the, for the weight cut. So I'm a, a couple, like a couple pounds lighter than I've been in the past. So, um, I mean, it's definitely not fun, but it's not anything that like kills me. Um, I, it, it's really important for me to, to feel healthy, you know? So even though the weight cut process isn't necessarily the most healthy idea, but like, I, I think I do it in a really safe way. And, um, it's nothing I stress about. It's just something I got to do. All right. So in conclusion, I'm sure you've thought about this fight a lot and fighting her and, and, and how your first title fight would all play out in the UFC. Of course. Can you tell me like, how's it going to play out? What do you foresee? What are you feeling right now? Um, I feel like I'm going to, I feel like we're going to get into a rhythm. I'm going to start to find, it's just, I'm just going to start to find my way. Um, I, I kind of, it, it, it reminds me again of like the Invicta fights where I, you know, it was, it was a tough fight, but then in the fourth round, I was able to, you know, outlast and find, find a finish in the fourth round. So I, I keep thinking in my head, like, this is going to be a fourth round finish for me. So, you know, it's going to be into the championship round. It's going to be a tough fight, but I'm going to find it. And I'm going to get, I'm going to take it when I find it. Can't wait. Good luck to you, Felicia. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck the rest of the way this week in terms of the weight cut and weigh-ins and all that stuff. And of course, on Saturday night as well. Thank you so much again for having me. Not sure how someone who is so nice can be such a great fighter, but that's Felicia Spencer for you. And if you've never seen her fight, go back and watch that fight against Chris Cyborg last July in Edmonton. Very impressive, even in defeat. I think she's going to give Amanda Nunes a really tough fight. Is it happening a little too soon for her? 10 fights in, she's only been fighting for five years, perhaps. And this is part of the problem at 145. You just don't have a lot of talent. But I don't think that she is going to wilt under the pressure. And I believe the fact that it's happening in an empty arena is actually going to benefit her. Also, since they've been doing these shows in the empty arenas, the underdog is 5-0 and in the main event. And she is a 4-1 to underdog. So interesting times. Now, before we move along to one half of the people's main event, let me tell you, about our good friends over at Modelo. Modelo is brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Modelo is the official beer of UFC and partners with Felicia Spencer's opponent on Saturday, the great Amanda Nunez. She's got the fighting spirit, and so does the pride of Canada, Felicia Spencer. Maybe they'll they'll sponsor her after this is all well and done. What do you think of that? That would be nice. Anyway, to beat Amanda Nunez, as you know, Felicia Spencer is not only going to have to pull off the upset, she is going to have to channel that fighting spirit by not giving up even when the odds are against her. Both women are great fighters. And like great beers, it doesn't matter where they come from, it matters what they're made of. Modelo has been the gold standard since 1925. Modelo is a crisp Pilsner-style lager that set the standard for authentic Mexican beer. Modelo uses premium hops to give the golden lager its crisp taste. So... When you're watching Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer at UFC 250 on Saturday, make sure you have a crisp Modelo Especial within reach. Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Beer imported, Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. 
All right, now let's move along to Aljamain Sterling. He returns for the first time in a year. He had wrist surgery. He's fighting Corey Sanhagen in a very important fight. This is a number one contender fight, in my opinion. It hasn't been said as much, but I am anointing it as such. Number one contender fight at 135. We'll hear from Corey after Aljo, but first up, it's the man they call the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. You've been in Las Vegas for a while, right? Since before the last event. No, no, I was, uh, I, yeah, for the event that was Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero, I was out here for two weeks and then, uh, I went back home, did my training oh, no. camp. And- that was like nine months ago. I'm talking about like the Woodley Burns fight you've been in Vegas for, oh, right? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I was. Yeah, Thursday. I got in Thursday. How come you, you got in so early? I don't know. I fought here a couple of times and I think the difference with the heat, I think it really does, um, kind of play with you a little bit. It's different from the humidity back home and um, feeling the Vegas heat in your lungs. There's nothing like it, you know. So get out here, get a little bit acclimated with the sleep schedule. Man, last night I was tossing and turning nonstop, just mainly because of a lot of other things going on in the world and obviously the weight cut. And But, um, yeah, I just restless last night. But um, getting myself acclimated to the time zone change, I think it's definitely beneficial. It can't hurt. It can never hurt. Could I ask, you're preparing for a very important fight, potential title shot is on the line, you're cutting weight, there's a lot going on, right? You've been out for a year, wrist surgery, but then as you just alluded to, there's so much going on and it's hard to just ignore that, of course, I would imagine for you. How are you feeling as you see these things? You're preparing for your fight, but it's impossible to ignore everything that's going on. This is obviously a very personal subject for you. How do you deal with it all right now? I, I don't know. I'm, you know, just taking it day by day and uh, just trying to get through it. Um, you know, you can't escape it. You know, you, if you go on your phone, it's it's right there in front of your face. You know, so it's uh, uh, an issue I talked about um, at length already. And um, you know, it's it's a huge it's a huge problem in this country, man. And it's, it's it's sad that there's a lot of people who kind of try to downplay the severity of of these issues that are going on and that have been going on for decades, you know, so it's, it's tough. I got a huge fight and um, it definitely is a huge distraction. But you know, at the end of the day, once I kind of go back to watching film and stuff and uh, get ready for training, kind of refocuses me and I kind of able to drown out the noise a little bit. At night, it's a little bit different because you're just thinking about a ton of different things, how the fight might go, different um, situations, different scenarios, what you're going to do when you get in this position. I'm like very cerebral when I, when it comes to my approach and how I train and uh, how I like to approach the actual fight. So you have this situation where you're preparing for a fight, but you're also living in New York, not necessarily New York city, but you're on long Island. New York obviously was, you know, the epicenter in America for COVID-19, how difficult was it? And I saw on your social media, obviously you were able to train a little bit, but how difficult was it for you to actually train for this fight? Uh, It was tough at first. Um, My girlfriend, she had got sick. So when she got sick, uh, pretty much no one was willing to train at the time. And then once I got word of the fight, then I let the guys know and they they weren't doing anything, you know? So I think me getting the fight, made everyone jump in on jump on boards they just kind of get ready to to prepare for battle and um i think it kind of re-motivated everyone to to use this downtime to train and let's uh all push each other and get better so the, the training was tough in the beginning because i was like the only one who was really like against the whole severity of the, the COVID 19 even though my girlfriend did have it um 
I just didn't think it was as crazy as it was played up to be in the media. I think a lot of things are loosely slapped with the COVID label, for lack of better words. And um, I think when you just kind of look at a step back and look at all the, the information that's out there, obviously, if you're just looking at one news source, you're going to be pretty well influenced to believe whatever they're pushing towards you. So I think you have to do your own research and really try to get all the facts in different angles. You know, it's like seeing what happened in an argument and only asking one side. you got to get both sides of, of the information, you know. And I'm no doctor at the end of the day, but um, I like to use my own intuition and do my own research and have my own opinion. I think everyone's entitled to their own opinion. You know, mine might be stupid to you, but to me, it, you know, it works. And I wish I got to train a little bit earlier. Not saying I, I'm not in shape or anything, but I just like to train, you know. So to be able to just train would have been, like, my safe haven. So to finally get that back when everyone jumped on board, that was, like, that was a big relief for everyone who kind of got the boys back together. How's she, how's she feeling now? Oh, way better. I mean, this was, like, March 16th. So, you know, she, she was sick for all of a week, you know. Okay. Um, and she, I, don't, I wouldn't say she was definitely bad. Uh, definitely bad. But uh, she says there were some tough times. Like walking up the stairs is like, yeah, she had to take a, a little bit of a breather because she was um pretty exhausted. You know, right. she's young, she's fit, so I think that helped out a lot. And she doesn't have any other crazy health issues. You know, where I think a lot of people who are older and they have those underlying health issues is a little bit more serious for those guys. So let me make sure I'm clear on that because uh, you know some people hear one thing and they just immediately tune out everything else that you say and just. Oh, you said this, you, I don't, you know, you're crazy and whatever, you know, people are just, people are wacky, man. People are wacky. I feel like this fight should have been for the vacant title. I feel like after Cejudo retired, they should have just made this fight easy one month later for the vacant title. Why isn't it for the vacant title? I don't know. This, I think San Hagen's resume is better than Petey Hans. Honestly, beat a Sunshine, beat Lineker. Who'd, who'd uh, Petey Hans beat? The one common opponent that we had was Jimmy Rivera. And I think I beat him way more definitively than he did. And he's the one getting the push. You know, he beat a, a guy who just came out of retirement, Uriah Faber. No disrespect to Uriah, but the old Uriah would take that shot and keep coming forward. But this is a different day and age. Father Time is undefeated. You know, so for them to be giving him this kind of a push, it's really, um, I, I don't know the lack of better words, I guess a slap in the face, maybe just disrespectful to the entire division and the body of work that we're putting in. But at the end of the day, we can only control what we can do, which is going out there and performing and having a great fight. So I think I go out there and take care of Corey Sanhagen. I should be the next guy in line. Have you been told that if you win this fight, you will finally get a chance to fight for the belt? No, but I mean, I, I just can't see anybody else. Where they are going to have Frankie come down, fight Pedro, and then if, Fra if Frankie wins, he gets the next shot? Or if Garbrandt beats a Sun Tzu, he comes back and gets the next shot. What are we talking about? Like, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a, anything can happen. It's the UFC. It's Dana White. And, you know, he does some pretty questionable things sometimes with the vision. So we'll see what happens. You know, hopefully they do the right thing and get the UFC back to being what made the UFC great. The best guys fighting the best guys while they're in their prime. Not that boxing shit where guys are avoiding each other for years and they're not making the, the tough fights that, are the rightful fights based on the rankings. You know, this is the one that needs to happen, you know. So whoever wins this is going to be myself versus whoever wins that between Pinion and Jose Aldo. What was your reaction when you found out that the Garbrandt-Sunsau fight was above you guys in the bout order? 
I laughed. I was like, well, I guess because Carl Garbrandt's name is bigger than mine in terms of he won. He's a former champion. He has a big following. But um, I don't know. It's kind of like if we're going to go by following, then why not keep giving CM Punk fights against, I don't know, people that he can potentially beat? I don't, you know what I mean? And I like CM Punk, but it's just, it just, this doesn't make any sense, man. It's, things are going backwards. I just hope they get back to, like I said, what made them great. But um, it's a good fight. Sunset is still a tough dude. I wonder what his headspace is going to be. I think they probably think Cody can shine and knock him out because of how he was touched up by Sanhagen. And, um, and I do think a Sunset hits hard enough that he could probably catch Cody on the chin and knock him out. You know, we, I think his chin is very sub, uh, suspect. So, we don't know. We don't know what we're going to get. It's a very interesting matchup because of those factors that no one really understands. Um, I know him and Pedro sat in the pocket and they banged it out. So someone had to go to sleep, you know. So um, I don't know if he's going to necessarily go out there and do that again. Well, that remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm very much in tune to watch what's going to happen between him and the uh, Sean O'Malley with um, Eddie Wineland. Do you believe that Henry Cejudo is retired? For now. I, I do think he's retired for now. Um, I think they make him a good offer if a big fight comes up and maybe even a big card, maybe like uh, John Jones going up to heavyweight against DC, the trilogy, or John Jones versus Stipe, whoever is the, the champ. Um, maybe Sayudo decides to come back and they put on a super fight with him coming back, the former champion, taking on the, the current champion, which would be nice if it's me. You know, I like those <laughs> that, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Were you disappointed when you heard that he was retiring or do you feel like, okay, now maybe the division can get back to normal? Uh, I said good riddance. <laughs> good riddance. The clown show is over. But um, no, Henry's a tough dude. Um, I respect him a lot and everything he's accomplished. But uh, him being out of the, the picture makes it a little bit easier for the division to kind of get going again. But then they kept Aldo in the mix after coming off of a loss for the title, which – kind of puts us back in limbo again. I think if they had just done Pidion and myself or myself versus Sanhagen, things would have got the division moving the right way that it should have been, or even do a four-man tournament like Sayudo suggested. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I would love to welcome him when he comes back, when he does decide to come back. What do, what do you think of Corey Sanhagen? I, I think he's looked really good in the UFC so far. Maybe a lot of people don't know who he is because he's not, you know, very outspoken or flashy, but seemingly, uh, you know, one of the more talented guys in the division. What do you think of him? I think he's a tough dude. Well-rounded. Seems like a smart fighter. He seems like, like myself. He thinks while he's in there, you know, like really trying to set up his shots and pick his, his, his openings. And I think that's what makes this fascinating because it's going to be a real high-level chess match. And, um, I think whoever makes the first mistake is going to be the one that gets opened up on first. So, uh, tough dude. Like I said, he has a tough resume. He beat a guy. We have a common opponent. He won on all three judges' scorecards against Sun Sal and had a really good fight with John Lineker. Could have went either way. I wasn't sure which way that one was going to go. I still kind of watched that as tape, and I'm like, I don't know who really won the fight, but it was a good fight. Um, so he showed some grit in that. We know he's tough. We know he's durable. He had his arm broken pretty much dislocated against um, Alcantara, came back and, and won in the second round. So I got my work cut out for me, and uh, he's got his work cut out for him too. How's the wrist? And and when did you feel like it was 100% good to go, like no restrictions whatsoever? I mean, it's, it's not – it's never really – you know, surgery. You know, it's never going to yeah. be 100%. But um, 
I got my strength back. That was the main thing, you know, getting these, getting in on these takedowns and not being able to lift guys up because once they do a two-on-one on my hands, they just separate it because I can't hold on the grip. Um, the joint was just really inflamed and damaged and beaten up from four years of me just pushing the pace and pushing the envelope, and I finally got it done. But it feels good. Uh, I'm holding positions. I made sure we tested that, make sure the grip was like vice grips again, kind of like back when I made my debut, man. I get my hands on you. It is a long night. I'm, I really do believe I'm like the 135-pound Khabib if I want to be, you know. So, um, you know, they say Khabib time. I, I think we're going to see uh, funk time on June 6th. It's going to be it's gonna be a good show. It's going to be a good show. I think uh, I'm going to drown Corey with pressure. You know, he's going to have to be fighting off a lot of takedowns and a lot of pressure. A lot of strikes, a lot of takedowns. Will Longo and Sarah be in your corner? No, I have uh, Steve Lee, Dennis Bazookia, and Ally Quinta. Ally Quinta's been in my uh, corner for the past few years. And um, obviously with the whole pandemic, you know, those guys being a little bit older and things being a little bit more risky for them, this was a um, an extenuating circumstance, you know. So it would have been interesting to have them in the corner and see how loud they can get with no <laughs> one in there with a the face mask on. That would have actually been hilarious. But – uh I got a good team behind me, man. These guys have been with me the entire training camp and day in and day out. So I'm excited about this, and I'm not concerned about not having them in the corner at all. You know, I know what to do. I know how to fight. I'm a veteran. These guys know me, and we've already gone over the game plans, and I, you know, pretty much gave them all the stuff that I like to be told when I'm coaching, when I'm being coached, you know. So I'm excited. I'm excited. I almost hate asking this question, but just because there's so much jockeying for position at 135, do you feel like you need to get a finish in this fight to assert yourself as the number one guy? Yes and no. Uh, I think a, a finish is the definitive way to really stake my claim for to challenge for the UFC goal. Um, a dominant decision could be the same thing. Like even I look back at the Pedro fight, that was a, you know, they, the UFC posted that clip and look how well the numbers did on that, man. They, uh, it, it was just a fun, high-paced fight. You know, if I could one-up that performance, that would that would be something. You know, so that's that's really all I control. Go out there and, and be me and do do what I do best and have fun, mix it up, and uh, the rest will take care of itself. I just got to make sure that they don't forget me. And if, if the performance doesn't get on the mic, talk my shit, and uh, hopefully they give them enough soundbite to to use for material to push for the next one. You're gonna talk. You're gonna talk smack afterwards, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got to. This is the name of the game. This is the name of the game that we're living in. You know, people who know me outside of this, they know I'm a nice guy. Um, but at the end of the day, to to achieve my dreams, I gotta crush somebody else's. You know, so it's a cutthroat sport, and may the best man win. You know, and I, so I pray that man is me on the night. And uh, finally, you know, you've been in Vegas, like I said, for a while. What's it like there? Because it, it looks. Like it's slowly starting to reopen, but also not your typical Vegas, you know, scene, so to speak, with tons of people, tourists and whatnot. What has it been like for you? Or have you been able to venture out? Yeah, I hung out with TJ Lavin at his place down here for um, early in the fight week. That was cool. We chopped it up, talked a little real estate, talked about the fight game, talked about the protests going on and everything. So real informative, informational um things just being passed on between everybody in the group. So that was cool. And um, yeah, everything's a ghost town out here, but still some people are out walking about, you know, they had the protests out here as well. Being able to go to some restaurants. I went to Buffalo Wild Wings and had a salad, watched the guys eat ice cream. That was fun to actually sit in a restaurant again. And yeah. uh, went to town square, went to a restaurant over there. 
and uh, had me a little bit of a tequila, tequila, water, and lime, and that put me right to bed. That felt good, you know. So, uh, do you usually do that when you're cutting weight? Yeah, yeah, I do. I drink throughout training camp. Some people think it's like taboo, like you gotta go cold turkey. Uh, I'm like, dude, I've done both, and I do not feel a difference. I think whatever wow. makes you feel good and gets you through, I think that's all it's about. You know, feel good, be in a good mental headspace. If I were to lose a fight because I had one tequila drink, dude, there's a bigger problem that I need to figure out, you know? Yeah. Well, I think this is the people's main event. It's, uh, in my opinion, one of, if not the most interesting fights on this card, and I think it should have been for the vacant title. Who the hell am I? I think it should have been, you know, second to last co-main event. Who the hell am I? But I'm looking forward to seeing you back. I'm looking forward to seeing this fight. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do against Corey Sanhagen. Thanks for doing this, Aljo, and good luck to you this weekend. Thanks for having me, Ariel. And as always, tune into the show. The Funk Show is back, and like I said, man, Corey wants this. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to take it from me because I'm ready to run that motherfucker over. So. At the end of this, we can, we can get a drink and chop it up and talk about how we punch each other. But uh, for now, it's all business. All business. Thanks, Aljo. Thank you. Peace. All right, so there's Aljamain Sterling's side of the story. Now let's transition to Corey Sanhagen. He's the guy who's fighting Aljo. We just spoke about him. Let's hear what Aljamain Sterling's opponent on Saturday night, Corey Sanhagen, has to say about this massive fight. Listen, I've been talking about you a lot over the past <laughs> few weeks, Corey. In fact, Chael Sonnen, my partner, has accused me of being a Corey Sanhagen homer because he says that I talk about you way too much. Do you think that that is accurate or do you feel like I don't talk about you enough? I think it's fair, man. I think that uh, I've been watching what you've been saying and I appreciate it. And DC's got to get on board too, DC and Chael, because DC's on the Jan Aldo boat right now too. Yeah. And, and yeah, man, they got to get over it. They got to hop shit and hopefully they will after this weekend. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second because I was advocating for a while. Once it seemed like Cejudo was walking away and, and vacating that title, he was going to retire. I was like, all right, this is perfect. you got a great a bantamweight contender fight coming up in literally less than a month. Make that for the, the vacant title. This is too, this is amazing. Like the stars are aligning perfectly here. And I'm sure you and Aljo would have gladly taken that fight. Why didn't that happen? I don't know. Uh, that makes most sense in my head too. But I mean, I, I know, man, it's because I don't bring a lot of name value to, to the division right now. You know, I, I mean, Garbrandt and the sun sour are the co-main in on the card on June 6th. And it's, uh, and I mean, Garbrandt's a huge name. That's why he's a co-main event. So it's like, uh, I, I know why, man. And all of that stuff kind of just takes a little bit of time. And, and, and I'm trying to be patient and I get frustrated with it because I know that it takes time. But uh, I mean, that's why I just don't have a lot of name value right now. So was it ever even discussed, brought your attention, a possibility whatsoever to make this a title fight? Mm, I don't think so, no. Okay. And then you bring up the Garbrandt of Sunsau part. I mean, you have a win over Rafael Sunsau. That blew my mind because I can understand putting, you know, a guy who's a bigger name in the co-main from a different weight class, if it's a 155 or a 170. But here we have four fighters from the same weight class fighting on the same card, the same main card. And I'm not trying to get you riled up here, but how do you justify making that the co-main? And of course, you know, position on the card really means nothing these days. It's like, it's not like you guys get paid differently or anything like that, but we're trying to push along, you know, some new contenders here. And clearly you guys are higher ranked. Why, why aren't you guys in the co-main? Does this bother you? Um, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it, uh, it didn't bother me. It did a little bit, but, uh, me getting bothered doesn't last very long. You know, me getting bothered lasts maybe five minutes and then I get over things. But, um, 
I don't know, man. Like, I, it's a business too. You know, the UFC is kind of, it's still a really young sport. Uh, so, so I get it and, and I don't really feel like I have, uh, too much to complain about right now. Although I know that, uh, it takes time, man. You know, I, I don't like to spend a lot of time complaining. I just spend my time getting better and I, and I, and I have a lot of faith that like, if I just keep doing that, then everything else will work out. How do you feel about, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to rile you up here, but I have a lot of questions about the state of this division, <laughs> especially with what happened with Cejudo. Jan Aldo as the vacant title fight. What do you think of that decision? Again, I don't know. I don't, I, I understand that Jan has impressive wins. Um, and that's great. But like, what, I mean, like quality has got to matter too, man. It can't just be Im- impressiveness. Um, Aldo's a legend, but I mean, and, and the Aldo Marais fight was really close. So, um, I, I kind of see the argument a little bit, but, uh, again, man, like I, I just try not to let it cross my mind. Like I try not to get too frustrated with stuff like that. I understand that I, I, I really believe in my heart that I'm going to be on the greener side of the grass pretty soon. You know, I, I just need, it just needs to happen. It, I just need time. I need that one fight that just propels me over the top. Uh, and then I'll be on the green side of the grass and then I'll, I'll be the one in, uh, in the position to be kind of like making a little bit of power moves. But right now I, I don't bring a lot of name value. Um, I'm not tilting the meter or, or, or whatever it is that Dana said. Um, so I mean, that's where I am. You know, what, what am I going to do? Complain about it or, or just keep fighting well and people will, people will get on board with it. I know that they will. Do you feel like the Aljo fight is that fight? I think it can be. I think me and Aljamain match up, uh, very interestingly in the way that, uh, Aljamain and I kind of bring in the same physical assets that we usually go into. Uh, we fight fairly similar as far as like fundamentally, we like to use footwork and we like to stay rangy. Um, and I'm also really excited kind of to be on this, this same card with, uh, I think O'Malley's the first on the main card and then, uh, Garbrandt and the Sun Sour right after us. So. I'm excited for people to be able to watch all three of our fights and be like, okay, I can compare that. It's easy to compare when they're back to back to back. So I'm excited for people to be like, wow, Corey is really impressive. He's faster than these guys. He moves his feet better than these guys. And he does a lot of things better than these guys. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm really, uh, happy about is that, um, I get to do that and, and everyone kind of gets to see that very, very easily this, this go around. Have you or your management been told explicitly that this is a number one contender fight? I mean, I feel like it's a no-brainer, but has that ever come up? Has that been said? Mm, it ha- it has been said. I've I believe so. Where it was, um, it it has been told to me that the winner of this one gets uh, the winner, Jan and Aldo. Um, okay. But who knows? You know, right. I'm not I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bank on that. Uh, I'm just going to fight my best and then make as much noise as I can. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to do. Do you believe that Henry Cejudo is really retired? I think he is for now. I think that, uh, Henry really likes attention. Um, and I think if he gets that attention and and he's making good money outside of the UFC, he'll stay retired. If he's not, then I think he'll be back. Yeah. What did you make of his performance against Dominic Cruz? Henry's good, man. Like, Henry annoys me a lot just because, uh, his, de- his decision to fight Aldo and Cruz over kind of the, the contenders. And I think his act is like, 
annoying. It's just annoying. Um, but the guy's a really good fighter. Like the guy knows how to compete. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for that. Um, as far as that fight, I mean, Cruz didn't really show any signs of him being able to win. I thought in the fight, I think Henry fought really smart and, and the game plan that he came out with was going to be one that I don't think Cruz was going to be able to stop whether or not it was an early stoppage or, or whether it wasn't. How would you describe this past year for you? Because, I mean, it feels like it was so long ago now, but you were supposed to fight in January against Frankie Edgar, and there was that whole big thing where they take the fight away from you, they make him fight Korean Zombie after Ortega gets injured, you're left with no one, and you haven't fought now since August. It's going to be, what, 10 months since your last fight, and you've been healthy, you've been ready to go, you're in the prime of your career, you're on a streak, momentum, all that stuff. And, and you're kind of in this weird spot. And of course, the pandemic hit, so that paused things a little bit. But are you over what happened back in January, the fact that you were left with no opponent? Yeah, I don't care, man. You, you know, like, I can speculate on, like, why Frankie made that decision. You know, like, I can be like, oh, Frankie didn't want to fight me. I could, you know, but, like, who who cares? You know, like, the, the fight didn't happen. Uh, I, I've been using every single day as efficiently as I can. Uh, to me, this is, this is my, this is my passion. This is my sport. This is what I love to do. There's all of the entertainment stuff and all of the, the, the show aspect of it, um, is a lot less interesting to me than I think it is for a lot of other people. Um, and to me, it's just like, we're getting an occasion we're fighting and it's as simple as that. If you beat me, cool. If I beat you, awesome. That's what it is for me. Um, and that's why I've kind of really actually been enjoying this fight week a little bit more and, and and I think I'm going to kind of enjoy the no audience thing. Maybe it, it's going to be weird, but I think I'm going to kind of enjoy it because it's like, there's no, it doesn't feel like there's as much BS. There's not like, there's not, I mean, media day is going to be virtual. It's only going to be for a couple of hours on, on Thursday. And uh it, it's just simple, man. It, I feel like everything's just been simplified, which is what I like. Like I enjoy it just being about the fighting and, and about the art. And uh, the, I feel like that's something that I always hope to, to stand for in the sport is uh, I'm a guy for the culture. You know, I do it for the culture and I do it for the art and, um, and everything else is just kind of, you know, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Strip away all the BS, none of the nonsense. You just go in there and fight. And and I'm just curious, uh, did they take care of you in January or, or did you not get anything? No, no. I mean, they, they offered me Pedro in February, you know, Uh to be fair. Yeah, Uh, they did. But, Pedro was coming off that that loss against Aljamain. Should I have taken the fight? I mean, looking back at it, yeah, I probably should have because I was hoping to fight again in in March or April, and neither one of those happened. So I think I kind of learned from that mistake. Uh, in that, I'm just if another scenario like that happens, it's probably better just to keep busy and stay in the conversation and have another good performance than it is to have to wait another six months to fight. How's it been in, in Las Vegas? You talked about it obviously being different, but in terms of the testing, you're doing the throw testing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that just, bad. Not that bad, huh? I mean, you gag, but it's, I mean, it's not terrible. Have the you done nose the nose? one looked worse. No, the oh. nose one looked worse. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but just in terms of the way it's all been running, obviously now they've had several events, so you would think it's a little more of a well-oiled machine. What's it been like from your perspective? Um. It's weird in that we can't go do anything fun, really. But uh, my my cornerman, uh, Carrington Banks, brought his Xbox, so we'll just be playing a lot of Xbox and, I guess, watching a lot of Netflix. But, uh, I mean, 
we've been shooting some hoops too. We've been playing basketball over here. If, uh, Where is that? Where you play basketball? Yeah, at the resident. They have a little court here at the residence. And wow. And anyone can just go? Smoked, though. I, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's only for the, for the guests, but I mean, no one else is using it because it's too hot here in Vegas. But yeah, we've been playing a little bit at night. Wow. And, and do you each have your own individual workout rooms? Yeah, we do. So, so my workout room is right next to where I'm staying and they just moved all the furniture inside of the room and uh, we have our little workout room. I don't know that I'll use it that much, but yeah, we can also go to the PI and the Apex and, and use their facilities too. So that, that's what everyone's been doing. Okay. And by the way, what is in that workout room? Is there like a treadmill or something? Uh, a mat and a, uh, and a little self sauna thing. The little one that you sit on the stool in. Okay. Yep. 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 But no equipment or anything like that. Mm, No, only only at the PI and the apex. So obviously one of the other uh, big stories has been your team, right? Elevation doing so well. And I remember when we first talked a long time ago, we talked about, Hey, how come, you know, you guys don't get a lot of attention and things like that. I feel like it's slowly changing. Do you guys feel like you're starting to get the respect and attention you deserve with Drew Dober doing what he's doing? Curtis blades yourself, Alistair Overeem as of late, uh, Gaethje, sort of a member that that that's you know not like full-time guy like you guys but you know affiliated with the team do you feel like you're starting to get the respect that you guys deserve yeah uh i don't really think about uh if people are giving us the respect that we deserve or not like i I don't really you know that that doesn't really i i'm i'm happy to see my teammates doing well you know um as far as like what other people's opinions are and if they're giving respect to the team and stuff, that doesn't make too much of a difference to me. It's, it's, it's really nice for me to be able to see that my teammates are doing really well and that, um, and that they're going out and performing, man. Like we, I, I don't really know what we're doing right, but, uh, I mean, obviously we're doing something right because we're going out and performing, performing, performing time after time. And, uh, and against really good guys, it's not like we're fighting like, uh, two, three fights in the UFC opponents were fighting like some of the really, really good guys and everyone's doing really well. Can you clear something up for me? Is Gaethje a member of the team or not? He he is, yeah. So Gaethje uses a different wrestling coach than we all use. Um, and he uses Trevor Whitman as a striking coach. But Trevor Whitman still comes to – I mean, Trevor Whitman's buddies with everyone. But uh, I don't know that I would necessarily uh, – title i i don't know you'd have to ask trevor what his title would be as far as if he's an elevation coach or not i I know trevor kind of does his own thing but um i mean gaethje's at all of the sparring sessions that i go to you know um and trevor's there with him and uh and as far as like gaethje helping out the guys on our team he's doing that for us and we're doing that for him so although he's kind of there maybe i don't know two or three days a week for the sparring sessions um, I mean, we're all buddies and stuff. We all hang out outside of the gym and stuff. So it's like, uh, I, I would, I would still consider him uh, a member of our team. He just kind of like uses a little bit of, uh, different coaches than maybe the, the standard guys that we have. Okay. Um, Aljo, your, your opponent, Aljamain Sterling has looked really good four in a row, probably the best run of his UFC career, although he's coming off uh, wrist surgery. So it took him a little while to come back. A, have you been impressed with him during this run? And B, in your opinion, based on what you've seen of him in this particular run, because there was once an, a knock on him that he didn't like to get hit, he didn't engage enough, all that stuff. I think that's gone away. What are the keys to beating him, in your opinion? Uh, just be better, man. Like, like I said, like um, he brings a lot of the same the same things that I bring in. He, he brings in a lot of the same advantages that we both go into, being taller guys, um, being able to move our feet, fighting from range, like. 
we, we both bring that in. Um, without giving away too much, you know, I, I just think that I'm better than him at those things. I, I think that I've been around the block as far as kickboxing goes. I, I have a WKA uh, national uh, championship and a WKA world championship. Um, so, I mean, I've been around the block kickboxing, so the, I, I'm not worried about, like, any of the, the awkwardness and stuff like that throwing me off. Um, there, there's always going to be a lot of uncertainty when you go into a fight and, and you first touch that person or you, or you first feel kind of how they move and, and how fast they're throwing their punches and their kicks and stuff and, and how awkward their head is to find with attacks. But um, there's always going to be that uncertainty. But on paper, I think that I'm, I'm just a more impressive fighter. Um, and, uh, and, and it's hard to, I, I don't put all of my eggs in that basket of me just being more impressive because Aljamain is 18 and three. So it's not like he's, he's just this guy that I'm going to walk over, but, um, I think that I'm just a more impressive fighter. So, um, I, I hope to just show that, you know, and, and I think that this is a good one for me to be able to show that in. True or false. Uh, when you win on Saturday, you will get on the microphone, you will scream, Jose Aldo, you're taking everything I worked for. <laughs> false. <laughs> okay. Will you do anything? Will you make a big stink on the microphone? Enough is enough. Will you do something like that for me? Uh, I'll, I'll do, uh, to be honest, man. So, uh, <laughs> June, June, I'm not going to, um, June 6th, uh, is my buddy's birthday who, uh, he was one of my best friends when I was younger and he passed away. Oh, uh, he passed it. That's okay. He passed away about nine, 10 years ago. Um, and June 6th is his birthday. So, uh, on the microphone, when, when I think about what I'm going to say is I'm just going to dedicate it to him. On, uh, on a final note, you have been great about trying to make us all better human beings, right? Don't use paper towels, be a little more conscious of the earth. Any, any words of wisdom that you can give us during this crazy time? the pandemic and, and, and the, the, the protests and the rioting and the segregation and the racism. There's just a lot of stuff going on right now, Corey. And so I turn to you. Can you, can you share with us any words of wisdoms, any, uh, anything at all that can uplift our spirits? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really draining. I know. Uh, I, I feel that that I, I haven't even been able to really look at my phone the last couple of days just because everything is, is draining and, and, uh, it's really sad. Everything out there right now feels really, really sad. And, um, the suffering of the world, uh, is sad and it's not really going to go away. You know, um, this situation in particular, um, I hope gets resolved of course, but there's always going to be suffering in the world and it's always going to be caused by, um, uh, our, our human desires and stuff. So, uh, I, I think that we as humans, we, we value ourselves based off of how much money we have, how much success we have in our careers, how much, uh, nowadays, how much of, of a social media following we have. And, and we try to place all of our value and things like that. Uh, that, that's the wrong place to place your value in. And, and, and if there's anywhere that we can place our value in that's going to change the world, it has to be in how much love you give to every day. You know, how much hate you turn into love every single day. And that's what you should value your days about. Not, not how many more followers you got, not how much more money you made, whatever BS, because we all end up in the ground buried afterwards anyways. Doesn't matter what color you are, how much money you had, blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. You're on this earth and you only get one crack at it. And the only value that, that matters is how much love or how much hate you turn into love. And that's it, you know, and, 
that's how I feel. I think it starts within. It starts in your heart, and then it'll spread. Amen. And by the way, weren't those people crazy when they were trying to buy up all the toilet paper and stuff? (laughs) You don't need toilet paper, right? You probably were looking down on those crazy people. That was insane to me. I was like, dude, what are you? Is that what we're most concerned about? (laughs) Buy some dried fruit, man. You're going to go hungry before you you die of like a rash that you're going to get on your butt. (laughs) You still subscribe to all of those uh, theories, right? Uh, Which ones? Well, you know, the preserving the earth, paper towels, all that stuff. I think about you all the time. Every time I use a paper towel, I think of you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you're putting a lot of uh, pressure on me to be really good about it. So I actually, I actually think of you sometimes. But I'm like, man, if Ariel caught me, if Ariel caught me drinking out of this plastic cup, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if he'll, he'll look at me the same. Um, I hold you to a very high standard. I mean, you made a great first impression. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah. It, well, I, I guess that's a good thing, man. If if I'm if you're holding me to a higher standard and it's making me hold myself to a higher standard, then great. That's a good friendship. That is a good friendship, Corey. I appreciate the time. Good luck on Saturday. Good luck the rest of the week. Can't wait for the fight, and uh, I look forward to seeing you know what happens after this fight because I, I personally think it's a number one contender fight, and the winner of it should be fighting for the belt. So I wish you the best, my friend. Cool. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, so those are some of the big storylines heading into Saturday night's event in Las Vegas, UFC 250. Last weekend, the big story, of course, Gilbert Burns' big win over Tyron Woodley. Had the opportunity to talk to Tyron Woodley about the loss, about where he goes from here, and also about what is happening all across not only America, but this world regarding the death of George Floyd and racism in this country, and again, across the world as well. A subject that he is very passionate about. It was great to talk to him about not only that, but the fight and his future. Here's my conversation with the chosen one. As he said, following the fight, he doesn't just show up after a victory. He shows up after defeats as well, and he's kind enough to join us on this Wednesday afternoon. So first off, Tyron, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I'm doing great this afternoon, my man. I can't complain. Um, The last couple of days have been different for me. I've kind of like shifted my focus a little bit different um, outside of just fighting and dealing with that. That's usually what we do. It's either we have a moment where we're thinking about what's next for us. We had this huge wave that we created through victory, and we want to try to capitalize on as many things as possible. Or you're on the other side of the coin where you suffer defeat, and you kind of putting the pieces together and trying to rebuild and see what's next for you. Um, but for me, um, I was kind of muted to a lot of stuff that was going on as far as, like, you know, in the U.S. and around the country um, with the, the police brutality, excessive force. Um, George Floyd and all these different things, but then I was forced to open up my phone and Twitter and Instagram and all these different things. And basically we brought up to speed on what was going on um, in the world. And I spent the last two or three days really reaching out and trying to come up with a group of people, of leaders to come up with some sound solutions that can be measurable, that can be instantly impactful and long-term can create the change that everybody wants. So obviously a lot of people are curious about your take on what happened Saturday, but um, I'm happy that you brought up what's happened over the past few days in America and all over the world. And I'm just curious, I mean, you're no stranger to, to, you know, racism. You're no stranger to segregation. You're no stranger to discrimination. You're from Ferguson. We remember several years ago what happened in Ferguson. And I'm just curious when you started to see and digest what was going on, how did you react to it? First off, my first initial reaction is, you know, the fact that history is repeating itself. And, you know, one thing my mom always told me as a kid, that 
when you have, you know, you go through a certain trial or tribulation or problem. And it's a way that you address that problem that shows you how you're going to do the next time you experience something similar. So if you don't pass a test or if you don't have valid or valuable solutions to that problem, when that problem comes up, a lot of times it multiplies and magnifies because when you repeat that test, it's a harder test. So I started thinking about the Rodney King situation, right? And you got to remember when I did the film straight out of Compton, that was a portion of the film. So as we were filming the riot scenes in the movie Straight Out of Compton, the riots were physically and literally taking place in Ferguson while I was firm at the same exact time. So after I got out of the octagon of fighting, you know, maybe for a chance to be back, you know, in the number one spot to go for the belt, maybe a chance to just redemption, but really just fighting for everything you believe in. You know, that's one one thing fans don't recognize that when you fight, it's not just about a win or a loss. It's not about money all the time. Sometimes it's about a better lifestyle, a kid, diversity. Like my 2019 was shaken to a molecule. Like, you know what I mean? I was broken, shaken, depressed, you know, dealt with a lot of shit. And I never gave up. I never folded. You know what I mean? I was, I was sunken in the cave for a little bit, but I came out of that motherfucker and I came out firing. I came out swinging. So I was at a state of eerie peace with the fight. Everything went well this time. I blocked out all distractions this time. I regained the focus that I need to be the champion that I was. And I kept asking God, I said, I don't understand. And I'm really confused, but I trust you. And one thing, if you know me really, like if you really, really intimately know me, you know that my goal and my purpose and the reason why I do this is to be a light. And so people can see God through me. They can see through my affliction and through my struggle and through my hard times that if you're a young kid from Ferguson, like a kid reached out to me a long time ago and said, man, how did you not, how did you, how did you deal with it, man? How did you make it out of here? Every day I walked to the bus stop, man, people were trying to jump me and fight me. You know, how do I not join the gang? How do I not do all these different things? Like he was asking me this question and broke my fucking heart because it's like, I did, I joined the gang. I didn't feel like dealing with it every day. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like, and I probably can beat a lot of them up. And at that point in time, that's what I, I made that choice. I made that choice for protection. My father wasn't involved in my life and I made it for security and I made it for peace of mind. And I did that. That was a part of my life. And that's what I'm fighting for. So when I saw myself start this aerial, and this Williams, a buddy of mine, former St. Louis Ram Hall of Fame football player, in his Hall of Fame speech, he said, he said, you want to start the beginning with the end in mind. I started MMA that way. And I saw this was a vehicle the entire time. I've been finessing you guys the whole time. This, this in mixed martial art career, yeah, I want to be the best. Yeah, I still got a chance to be the greatest. Me losing this past weekend didn't prohibit that. It didn't stop that. It may, it may take me a little longer. It may add another roadblock, but I, I've always wanted to utilize my story you know, my affliction, my struggle, my strongholds, my mistakes, my shark company, my, my shark coming, sorry, to motivate people that don't believe, they don't have hope, that don't think they can make it out of that situation. That's always been my goal to speak to these people, to motivate these people. That's my, that's going to be my last thing I do. Not MMA. MMA ain't all I am. You know what I mean? It's, it's what I've been and it's what you guys know me from, but it's not all I am. You know, I mean, it's a small fraction of what builds me. 
So I'm invested into the solution. Um, I love the I love the unity. I love the margin. I love you know peacefully coming together. I love some of the unified cons I've seen with some of the law enforcers and some of the people of different races of different countries that didn't hit them right in Minnesota, but they still felt the pain. Um, I disagree with a lot of things that are going on, especially when there's no solution behind it. So my energies and my mindset until until I feel like the first big toe is stepped forward on the solution is coming up with leaders. You know, I've been I've been on the phone with um, my my homie Van Lathan, um, formerly from TMZ, um, and talking to Killer Mike. Um, reached out to my guy Nate Parker. Reached out to Jason Wilson from the Cave in Detroit, uh, Michigan. You guys know him. He's he's basically training athletes and youth and forcing the fathers to be accountable, making them come to practice and, and using faith-based messages to teach sport to kids. And he's a very powerful human. And I reached out to Spotify, become friends with um, Daniel Eck of Spotify, the CEO. And um, I think this is, is, is time out for it. And everybody's tired. And I want to come up with some sound solutions. And I want to come up with some, some plans of actions, both immediate to bandage and give some type of healing and comfort for right now, some short-term, some long-term, and some permanent. Can you give us a, a taste of maybe what the immediate solution is? I mean, the my opinion is the immediate, you know, do you really want to hear my opinion what it is? Like, cause, Absolutely. That's why I asked you. You know, you know what's funny is I had a long conversation with, with Malky Saturday, yesterday. Two hours. Manager. Two hours conversation. And he's going to kill me for saying this, but I'm a real person. You guys know that. A few things I'm like, I'm glad you said that to me, but don't say that to anybody else that's African-American. You're not in position to ask these sort of questions. You're not. And I'm just telling you why. I had the same, I had a uh, two-hour conversation with Ben Aspen this morning. And me and Ben Aspen have enough love for each other and respect for each other that I told him, if you got anything that's borderline that you don't know that would be racially insensitive, Bring it to me first because I've been in the mud and the trenches of the trenches, the grimiest of the grimes. And I've been around billionaires and everything in between. So my skin is thicker. And I know you come from a piece of passion, sometimes a piece of just ignorance that you just don't know. I said, but what you got to recognize is God has created some of us to be outliers. Ben, you're an outlier. You're red pill. You don't let anybody tell you you're going to research everything for yourself. And in addition to that, you get people treatment at face value and you don't care about color. You don't care about race and you're ignorant to the fact that racism exists because you haven't participated in it and you've been sheltered to the fact that you haven't experienced or seen it. So in your mind, it doesn't exist, but my brother does it. And I said, that's why you can love and you can passionately go after what you can because you haven't seen it. Sage Northcutt. When, when he came to Los Angeles, I took him to Skid Row. I took him to see Birth of a Nation, a film by my homie Nate Parker. He really has been oblivious in his show. He had only had four Skittles in his entire life and never ate a piece of fried chicken. And I am one day I whooped him and I tornadoed him and I cultured him in one day. And he came out of the movie theater and said, Mr. Woodley, I'm angry. You know what I mean? People aren't taught racism. I mean, people are taught racism. You aren't born with that. Nobody's broken down a DNA molecule and showed me um, a recessive and dominant trait for racism. 
black is not scary. Black is not a spider. It's not a snake. You mean colorism is a real thing. When you look at colorism, the darker you are, the bigger you are, the scarier you are. People are scared. And fear creates more fear. And people that are hurt are willing to hurt more people. Hurt people hurt. So the base root of the, the solution in the, in, the, in the meantime that I think is, the first thing first, we need to grab the rugs. All rugs need to be lifted up. Uncomfortable conversations need to be put on the table. They need to be had. When I say conversation, I don't mean you sitting there with your ideology and your thoughts and your experiences from your environment, your upbringing, your relationships, and what you've experienced ready to dispute, refute, and basically maliciously attack somebody else's viewpoint. Never going to get there. Never going to get to the promised land. But we need to put on the table some facts. Racism is real. Segregation was real. Slavery was real. There are byproducts from that. You can't oppress an entire generation that was brought from a different country not on their own free will. Don't speak the native tongue, language. And if they attempt to read, you cut their tongues out. You rape them. You steal their kids. And the lighter complected you are, you can maybe move in the house. You know what I mean? That colorism and that mindset and that ideology. We can't say, oh, race, slavery was so long ago. Get over it. You've had a black president. We can't do that. You can't be insensitive. So when I when I lay out the facts, and it's not just facts about African American and racism, but it's also about the other side of the coin. And that's what African Americans may disagree with me on. We gotta look at both sides of the coin. So on a very surface level, you got the institution of slavery, where education, we know we know knowledge is power. Education was prohibited. It was you can be killed because you try to consume it. Being able to read, articulate, and basically survive is one of the most human-based emotions at the, at the base level. The ability about wealth. Not only do you not have the mentality and the mind to create wealth in an atmosphere that you were not born in, that you're not indigenous to, you have to try to create wealth but not, not the sound information. The sound knowledge. And then in addition to that, how can you transcend and how can you pass this wealth and this information, this knowledge down to your offspring if you don't have it? Two, the family structure is important. When you look at the amount of successful people that have come from a family that has a mother and father both there present that are working, okay? The numbers are astronomical on a success rate of people that have two people in their household. Since the beginning of being stripped away, you're going to be a slave and you, you look stronger. You're going to do this. Your wife's going to come this way. Torn away from the family from the beginning. Does it really, really blow our minds, the fact that the family structure in the African-American household is not what it should be? That African-American males sometimes may leave out the family quicker than others? What are the repetition? What have they seen? What have they been conditioned to know? Think about the police, protect and serve, right? When that slogan was created, to protect and serve, 
It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't completely articulated to protect and to serve the white Americans. At that time, there was no African-American law enforcement when they made that slogan. Am I correct? There was zero African-American law enforcement. So we, as African-Americans, assume that you have to live by this. They didn't create that slogan. When I say they, I mean current police officers. They didn't create the slogan. The slogan was created back in the day when people was getting hit with fire hoses and beat with billy clubs and hung and nobody was held accountable because we were treated. When you treat somebody lower than a dog, lower than the scum of the earth, and then you expect them to get over it and think that they are so great and they don't have the family structure, they don't have the economical background, they don't have people teaching. We didn't learn. In my house, we didn't learn finance because we didn't have finances. We chose what utilities were going to get cut off. In the summertime, it was not going to be the electric because we need AC. In the wintertime, we need the hot water. We boil water on the stove to make to take baths. Like You know what I mean? Like I've been evicted, been homeless, been everything. But at the end of the day, I made a choice. And I can't stand on the top of my wave and say, all black people, y'all, I made a choice. I can make it. You can make it. God's created us all with different minds. Some people like me are outliers. I've been through a lot of shit that a lot of people know about. Shot at, jump, chase fights, whole family full of drug dealers, killers, and everything you can think of. The fact that I'm here, I shouldn't be here. But the fact that I am here tells me I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be here. It's my job to go out there. It's my job to be vocal. It's my job to give peace. It's my job to come up with solutions. That's a lot to say. But if people can lay that out on the A side of the coin without refute, Without rebuttal, without, well, what about this case? Every time we go, what about this case? You're pointing out another outlier. Obama is an outlier. His wife, they were, that's, that's like south side of Chicago. Do you know what that is? They, that's why they call it fucking Chirac. You know what I mean? He's an outlier. That's why he's a leader. So other people that are outliers should go in a place of leading. People don't want to follow, quote unquote, or they don't want to be sheep because we're in an era of social media. Social media has glamorized reality television, has glamorized quick, fast solutions, instant oatmeal success, and lottery ticket picking, married into all type of different schemes. That's what we want. Nobody want to work hard anymore. Nobody want to be accountable. Nobody want to be talked to and led. So if we don't have the base level of the leaders being willing to lead, not scared about their job, not scared about, you know, when this is over with or people want to see or do business, not falling back in the cut because they, well, I did work my whole life for this. I ain't finna just shit down. Like, I mean, people still gonna make mistakes anyway. That's, that's what people think sometimes. And then if you're not willing to do any of that, open up your fucking checkbook. Let's go. If you open up your Rolodex, you know the people, you know the connections. If you're not willing to get out there, or orchestrate, or lead, or organize, or implement. Now let's fund it, because it ain't free. Fund it with your time, your resources, your knowledge. And then we got to take a deep breath, and we got to digest that. And area after that's digested, the next thing we do, we got to become accountable. Somebody built a stereotype. Somebody robbed the old lady at nighttime that made other people fearful of someone dressed in dark clothing. Somebody that was dressed like you, Somebody had their pants hanging off their ass like you. They've done illegal things. 
a law enforcer is a force of law. If you broke the fucking law, somebody is enforcing it. Is it that crazy in your mind that somebody whose job is to enforce law is enforcing the law on you that you're breaking the law? We got to be real. We're poisoning our fucking people with cocaine, crack, meth, heroin, killing them. Now, I'm not talking about weed. I'm not talking about things for earth. And maybe we wish legalize any natural plant, poppy seed, freaking opium, marijuana, whatever we need to do, because pharmaceutically, if we can monetize from it, you're going to tell me weed is worth in a Percocet, Oxycodone, Vicodin? No, it's not. You know what I mean? So when you got those different things, accountability layers have to measure up. I'm scared of you. Well, motherfucker, I'm scared of you. Why are you harassing me? Because I'm scared of you because the person before you didn't respect me, called me a pig, said fuck me. You know what I mean? Was violent towards me. Well, I'm feeling this way towards you because the last person I saw beat my fucking friend half to fucking death behind the convenience store and made me watch and told me not to say nothing. You know what I mean? Fear is something that is not godly. God did not give us a spirit of fear but a love, peace, and a sound mind. We don't have a sound mind. We don't have peace. We don't have love. So what do we have? We have the opposite, which is fear. And fear will make a motherfucker do anything. It'll make me shoot somebody because I'm scared. I fear for my life. It makes me want to shoot you first because I fear if I don't shoot you, you're going to shoot me. You know what I mean? So I think that conversation needs to be put on the table ASAP. And political figures and things of that nature that can sit back like one thing that's bothering me right now a lot of people are benefiting from this from a clout standpoint from a click standpoint from a follow standpoint and i'm fucking angry with it because guess what people are hurt people are missing their father their loved ones because we don't treat humans like humans should be treated if I wouldn't put a knee on my own fucking neck, why would I put a knee on your neck? You know what I mean? If I don't want a knee on my mother's neck, why would I put a knee on your neck? If that thought process registered in someone's mind, then they wouldn't do that. Maybe they have mental health issues. They're schizophrenic. Maybe they bipolar. But okay, now we're getting somewhere. Let's get these issues. Let's get these persons medicated. Let's get them counseling. Let's get them with the fucking badge off of their chest, if that's the case and scenario. You know what I mean? And the last thing is everybody saw law enforcement from propaganda and glamorized television and movies to be the Wild Wild West. You watch Denzel Washington on training day, he was shaking and busting doors open. And some people got into law enforcement for the wrong reason. So lo and behold, be traffic police officers or pushing quotas or behind desks. And then on top of that, you underpaid, overworked, disrespected, nobody respects authority, and you feel in danger. Like, these are big problems. Some African Americans don't want to hear it. Some politicians don't want to hear it. And some people are, like I told Ben, I said, I love you, brother, but I want to be real with you. You're ignorant to the fact that you haven't experienced and seen and done, so you think it doesn't exist, and it does. Like the whole thing in, in the University of Missouri. Remember a long time ago in University of Missouri, it was a huge racial outcry there and 
swastikas and everything was being sprayed. And, and Ben was like, Tyron, he called me like, he was so Sage Northcutt. He was like, did you experience anything different at Mizzou? Because, you know, I'm saying all this stuff, but I wanted to ask you first. And I just laughed. I'm like, Ben, I've experienced this my whole life, brother. You just, I don't, I don't talk about it a lot because I feel like the solution is in action. When I win and when I overcome and when I graduate college and when I become an All-American and become, when I become a world champion, when I become financially stable, I win. And my people win. And when I say my people, my people are human, human race, not black. My people win. Because guess what? That's the best thing I can do for you is show you. I'm from the show me state. I'm going to show your ass. I'm going to show you how I get down. You can say people have counted me out my whole career, my whole life. You know, that's, that's been really one of my driving forces. But I've always showed up. You know what I mean? Like even this past weekend, I can't just be in the camera every time I win and talk to stuff. Like, no. I was ready. I was prepared. I'm thankful, God, for another time I can go in there. At 38 years old, I never missed a beat. I was so focused. I was so driven. I was so ready and ready to go. And I have no thoughts of retirement. I have no thoughts of moving to a weight division right now. I have no thoughts of none of that. And I was there. Usman fight, I wasn't there. I don't remember it. Like, I don't just say that because I want to just, you know, get an exemption from the loss. I don't remember the fight. I've never watched it. But I was there that whole moment. Every punch I felt, every leg kick I felt, my coach was talking to me. You can hear me loudly. He was like, all right, coach, I got you. I got you. Breathing, moving. And I was there. I never felt tired. I never felt fatigued. And I never gave up hope that I was going to win. You know what I mean? And, and for me, I don't know how, but I found victory in that. Because when I got that big cut of mine, now when he didn't knock me down, I want to get that out there. Because I looked at the film, and he was like, you knocked him down twice. No, you he. He grabbed me and started wrestling over, like, uppercutting and throwing shit, and I fell off balance, and he jumped on top of me. And then he elbowed me, and then he grabbed me, and then I regained myself. I don't know how the fuck I got on my feet, but I did. And on my feet, and I look up, and I'm like, this motherfucker cut my eye open. But at that time, normally somebody want to retreat. or it's over. The referee going to stop it. I said, Tyron, calm yourself down. Breathe. Your heart rate was 35 when they checked it earlier. Take a deep breath. I know it's a lot of blood on the canvas, breathe. And you can see in the second round, I started to try to take back the fight. I started to try to get back in the rhythm. Then he landed the takedown. Boom. All right. Third round. Like, all right. I'm a champion, dog. I, I do these rounds. This is what I do. Third round. So, all right, let's get, let's get the move on. He kicked me in that fucking leg. I was like, ah, oh. I feel like somebody had a surveillance camera in the gym monitoring, you know, by every move. So he kept cracking at the leg and, and everything that happened, nothing ever told me to quit. You're going to get him. Take a deep breath. Set it up. Move forward. Here you come. You know what you're about to do. You know what I mean? And and I was just thinking, I don't know why I'd be having these conversations in the fight. But I was having this conversation. I'm like, my people out here fighting, man. They're out here fighting for freedom. They're out here fighting for justice. They're out here fighting for equality. You think I'm going to let this dude finish me? I'm going to quit. I'm going to let him knock me out. I'm going to let him break my arm. He got me in that choke, and all I kept thinking was like, man, you just not fucking choking me out, dog. I don't give a fuck how many world titles you won in jiu-jitsu. I'm not getting choked out at all. And I was thinking it. So maybe that's what gave me a little bit of peace when I got out the octagon. It's like, I'm like, God, I don't understand it. (laughs) I'm confused, but I trust you. You know what I mean? I trust you. And I think that it's time for me to go out here in a major way and make an impact and make a difference and come up with it. 
one of the first solutions to this issue and start taking steps in the right direction. Man, what an answer, Tyron. And, and you're I'm sorry, good... man. I, no. This shit, this shit is more important to me than fighting. I'm going to be real. Hey, it's more I... important to me than everything besides my kids. And I'm passionate about it and I'm, I'm, I'm tired, man. Like my 16 year old son is crying. He can't sleep at night. You know, he don't live in the hood. He got a nice car and he's, he can't sleep. He's scared. He's terrified. He hated it. He's old enough to know. You know what I mean? That like, Fuck my, I gotta tell, I gotta talk to my son. Me and Dean that, Dean brought his kid here. This kid's 15. Dean told, he said, if we get pulled over, it's dark and coming from the gym. Don't say nothing. Don't move. Don't breathe. Yes. Like what? Like, you know what I mean? Like you gotta train your kids that way. This shit's gotta stop. And what is it like, um, in your neighborhood? I mean, have you been to, you know, have you been out and about? Are, are you home rested? Like, I've seen the images from California to New York. What is it like where you are? Uh, they turn it up. They turn it up out here. My, um, my, my marketing guy, my recording artist, um, from St. Louis, they were on 17th and Olive. They torched it, blew it up, burned it down. Crazy wow. riding. Four police officers have been shot. Don't quote me. Two to four police officers have been shot. I know some police officers have been shot here. Um, I mean, just on Memorial Day alone, 16 people were shot and nine people were killed in St. Louis on one day. So when you put all the factors there, you got election year, chaotic. Anytime warm weather comes around, it's a trend with crime. That's happening. Warm weather's kicking out. Then you got quarantine. People cooped up in the house that one already didn't have enough funds living in close quarters. You know what I mean, may not have the, the ability to bounce back from this. And then if they have any type of mental issues that we talked about earlier, they're forced in the house to deal with them by themselves. Hmm. Then this happens. It's like 17, 17 bottles of soda shook, shook up and it just exploded. Right. So two blocks down the street. So 17th and Olive is where they were blowing up and it was making directions towards um, for the marketing place and recording studios. At. So they're outside with firearms and like, you're not finna blow this place up. You're not finna lose right. You know, this is, we put our life in it. 30 police officers swoop down. Swoop, 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 swoop. 30 police get the fuck on the ground. Guns drawn. Da, 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 da. And one of the, one of the police officers told my artist that, um, I remember you from Ferguson. We didn't get you then, but we'll fucking get you now. You know what I mean? So it's like, it only takes one. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It only takes one. I, you can just hear like, I'll send you the video. You can you can just hear like my buddy who's a you know he's a white guy. He's he's he thought that's what he wanted. It's not. You you watch this. People don't really choose this lifestyle, and you can hear him instantly instantly cooperate. Yes, sir. No, sir. I got a firearm. Who did it? And the police officers telling him. He's saying, "Hey, I feel that threat. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. If you don't comply to me." Basically, I'm going to apply for it. So you understand me? Yes, sir. Thank you for complying. Yes, sir. You here? And this happened well yesterday. Yesterday or the day before yesterday. They sent me a video of it two minutes after it happened. So I'm like, I can gear up and go out. Well, how can I make the biggest impact? So then I started calling all all the people that I felt like would would get the message across in a, in a tone. It's all about tone. Because if I pour water in a, in, a, in a bottle area with the top on there, water's going to pour down the side. But if I can find people that can uncap certain people, I can uncap certain people. 
somebody that grew up in Ferguson is going to listen to me because they know I've been there. They know I've done that. You know what I mean? I can uncap the person. I can point. I can uncap pretty much anybody because I've been through all walks of life. But there's certain people like Killer Mike, Nate Parker, Van Lathan, Jason Wilson. They can they can um they can uncap several people. And I think the more unique, diversified people you can have, maybe Ben Askren too. Maybe he's a part of it. You know, because he called me. You know, some people from some people from WME called me, and they 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 want to be involved. Because they come to me because they know that this is this is what I'm passionate about. This is real stuff to me. It's not a joke, and um, I'm gonna do the best with it, man. I'm gonna spend I'm gonna spend these next couple of weeks. I'm gonna really try to get to the bottom of what I feel like the um, the problems are, and I'm gonna really try to solve them. I ask. I saw a tweet from you where you uh you took a photo of uh, crutches and you sort of alluded to the fact that you had an injury going into the fight and, and you're obviously still injured now. What happened? You know, um, I was, I was doing my due diligence, right? And one, one thing I noticed that Henry Hoof um, is a good coach and he trains his fighters kind of in, they, they go through moments and they go through like phases, right? So to be a phase where everybody's kind of doing the same thing. It was a phase where everybody was doing kind of like an up kick to keep people at bay and then combinations, you know what I mean, impressed with the, the rest of the condition. They're going through a phase right now where they were doing a lot of calf kicks. You see Luke K doing a lot of calf kicks, you see, you know what I mean? So anybody in that camp, I have to believe that they're going to be kind of um doing the same thing. So I was prepared for that. I'm like, he's going to try to slow me down, knock my base out, calf kick the shit out of me, stop me from exploding, and then, you know, try to utilize that to just keep me off balance and keep me thinking, set up his overhand right, set up his left hook, you know what I mean? And it was something you can watch the pads. One, two, calf kick, left foot, overhand, and I was prepared for that. So in training, Dean Dean was trying to get me prepared for it. So, you know, we were doing a lot of the calf kicks and gave me a lot of different ways to, to defend it, check it, me out, move back, evade from it, or just eat it and strike forward. And what happened was one time, it was about two weeks ago, Dean had on wrestling shoes and he was trying to throw the kick where it didn't like, where like, was it went hard? But sometimes when you loop a kick out, you don't throw the regular way. His heel bashed like a nerve in my, in my, um, like shin cabbery, whatever. And it caused a contusion. So every time somebody would try to kick there, it would like be like terrible pain. So, I put like double shin guards on and we just kind of try to stay away from it. I did massage, acupuncture, ice, whatever you can think of. And I just really try to stay off of it. But when you running and cutting weight and stuff like that, you got to, you, you're pounding on it. So I kind of knew it going in. Um, and if you can tell, you seen one new person in my corner, uh, uh, aging young man, that's my chiropractor. So I had to make a big choice. One of my coaches didn't come. My boxing coach didn't come. Eric Brown, you didn't see him there. And I had to make the last minute choice that it was more valuable to have him in the locker room to work on me, to work on my calf. Um, so that's why he was in the corner versus my other coach. And, and, and I was prepared for it. You know, you saw me a couple of times when he kicked, I just kind of moved back and, and, and evaded the kick. The goal was for when he kicked to move back, evade the kick, come down punching. Or if I took the kick, um, throw a punch right off of it. But in the third round, I threw a jab. And he cracked me in the exact spot. Boom. And I tried to play it off. And he did it again. And I heard him go back in the corner. 
And he's like, he, he keep kicking him in the leg, keep kicking him in the leg. And I saw him look down at my leg, and I, and I made it. I had made, I made the right choice. I was like, I had worked some southpaw just in case, but I'm like, when you go southpaw, you kind of told the person they fucked you from the leg up. You know what I mean? And then also your defense is not as tight on the other side as it is on your original side. So I say, all right, well, I got to just keep making, miss the kick as much as I can. When I get a chance, because moving forward from that quite a bit, but I'm like, if I catch him punching, I can punch with him, then I can catch him in the position. And he was just smart. I mean, they were like, they were selling him a fight in a shell, like a turtle. So he, he had a shell. He stayed in the shell. He bombed. Um, and he stayed, went back to the time to come in. Partial. So, I mean, I knew about it. I, w- I was hoping that I can just evade the kicks and I was hoping I could go forward. But it was something that I thought that, I mean, I, I went into every world title fight with an injury. I just don't talk about it. Every mm-hmm. single one. Not one fight I went into without an injury. Um, some of them more severe than this one, but I thought this one was going to be one that when adrenaline kicked in and I started getting into it, and if he did land a kick, maybe I would have been landing the right hand anyway. But at the end of the day, he hit me, started crushing that leg, and I said, fuck it, you know what I mean? I got to fight. I can't just fucking give up and lose. So um, I just started fighting at that point, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so um, when you were talking about the fight initially, you you addressed a lot saying that you're going to keep fighting, that you're not thinking about changing weight classes, and you, you, you know, you're going to keep going. You felt good. You're not offering excuses. Yeah, so what is what does the future hold for you? You know, I was saying like, oh, now's the perfect time for you and Colby. You know, why not now? Finally, yeah, I think they they offered me that fight. I told him, I told him, I mean, I mean, I just don't want to talk a lot about Colby just because Colby, you know, I just don't want to talk a lot about Colby because Colby, Colby is an actor, man. I know what he's doing, and it makes sense, and it's kind of fun to watch. Oh crap, it's kind of fun to watch, but at the end of the day, like Colby's turned me down five or six times. But I think after losing two fights back to back, I think it may be a time where he may accept it because he may think I'm down and out. But that was the first thing they did. You know what I mean? They want to see if I was all right. Then they offered me to fight against Kobe. And I told, told Malky, I said, make sure you tell them today. Yes. Don't wait till tomorrow. Tell them today. Yes. Um, you know, I got, I got a contusion I got to deal with and I can't, I can't fight anyway. Um, 45 to 60 days because of the cut. So I'll do, I've been icing. Six, seven times a day, icing, ibuprofen. So I've been doing the right stuff. And, 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 and fighting Kobe right now is like fighting this, this race war. You know what I mean? This brutality and, you know, the, just the un, unsettling climate of our culture. Like, I'm just going to take it as that. So they have offered me Kobe. And I once again have accepted again. And um, we'll see what happens. All right. Um, in conclusion, anything you want to say, anything you want to get off your chest or do you feel like for now, I mean, obviously there's so much that we can say. Um, I don't want to keep you forever. Anything else you want to say before we I say mean, goodbye? I want to say this, you know, if you are in position, if you're in position of status right now and you're contemplating on if you should get involved and if you should speak out, you should say something. My, I urge you to have the courage to step out and speak. I urge you also to be very strategic in the way that you do it. Think it through first. Don't just post something out of the input. Input, sorry. Think it through. Um, think of how it is going to affect everybody. What you what you say, um, and get involved. If you are a person that 
feels like you doing your part or you voting is not going to make a, a big difference, you're wrong. Every peaceful protester, every person that's voting, every person that's using their social media platform to speak out, you guys are all important. You guys all make a difference. And little by little feels a measure. Nobody's going to, no one person, I'm not going to solve the problem by myself. But I'm also not going to sit back and worry about what people think about me for, for standing on what I believe. So get in the fight. And this is for all races because my people are human beings. If you got blood in your vein, then you're my people. And if you don't bullshit, you're not my people. And I don't care what color you are. Tyron, much love, my man. Um, always, always great talking to you. My best to you. Thank you for saying everything that you've said and, and for doing everything that you say you're going to do. Um, you're, you're, you're a leader and an inspiration, my man. So, uh, my best to you and your family. Thank you very much. I'm sorry it didn't work out on Saturday, but I'm happy to hear that you're going to keep going. And, uh, hopefully this time we can, uh, maybe see that fight once and for all between you and Colby. We'll talk <laughs> to you soon. All right. All right, my man. The chosen one is a real one, as the kids like to say. He is always available, always open to speaking his mind, always wanting to talk about the good and the bad. And we saw that on display on Saturday. We see that on display here this afternoon. Uh, Tyron Woodley is a great guy, man. And uh, like I said, he is as authentic as it gets. It didn't go his way on Saturday. Now he's lost his last two in a row. He's lost, in many people's eyes, 10 straight rounds. You wonder where he goes from here. But that was really interesting at the very end regarding the uh, the Colby Covington fight, agreeing to it right away with the stitches above his eye, all banged up, kind of feel like now's the perfect time. I mean, let's be honest, the perfect time was really two years ago when he was champion. But wow, could you imagine that fight finally happening amidst everything going on in this world and amidst you know their feud and him leaving ATT and all this stuff? I mean, there's a lot of meat on that bone. And it's a fight that I would still really love to see. I'm not so sure about the move up to 185. I was talking to Chael about that. I don't know if that makes sense right now. But Colby versus Tyron, it would be a really big shame if we don't get to see that fight before it's all said and done for those two. All right. Speaking of Colby Covington, let's talk to a big Colby Covington fan. As you know, everyone's favorite segment of the week, TST's Minimalist Tip of the Week, is brought to you by our good friends over at Modelo. Modelo Especial, sending the gold standard for authentic Mexican beer since 1925. Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. TST's Minimalist Tip of the Week. Ariel, it's really hard to top what uh, our boys Hiram Ridley had to say, what um, Corey Sanhagen had to say. I really love his uh, his inspirational message that he gave to us at the end there. It's uh, It's been a wild week. And uh, as far as minimalism goes, I just think what I want to say, and I kind of want to echo what Corey Sanhagen had to say, I think just be nice. Be nice. And with minimalism, what you do is you get rid of the things, the physical things or the physical people that don't add value to your life so that you can then in turn focus on what is really important. And I think now is a time um, better than ever for deep contemplation, for self-reflection about the things in your life, the people in your life, the beliefs in your life, and just basically to get rid of anything that is hateful, that does not make the world a better place. And that is what minimalism is all about. It is getting rid of the physical things to make room for life's most important things. And that's all I want to say this week. I appreciate that. And uh, obviously echo every single thing that you said. It has been a very, uh, a, a very disappointing week. It's, uh, it's mentally draining. It's exhausting. It's sad. 
And at times it feels like there's no end in sight. And I think that's the worst part. You know, there's no guidance, there's no leadership. And it just feels like it was getting worse and worse. And it should be getting worse because something has to give, right? Racism, not only in this country, but all across the world needs to stop. And justices like the ones that we saw that happened to George Floyd and many others over the years needs to stop. I, I wrote something yesterday on uh, Twitter. I didn't realize I had so many racist people and anti-Semitic people who followed me after, you know, I posted the black screen on social media. Uh, I stand by it. I stand by everyone who is, uh, you know, speaking up who is fighting for this cause. I believe in, 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 you know, the cause very much. I, 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 I just feel like, you know, we need to stop, you know, we need to stop trying to, uh, to sugarcoat everything. There is an issue. There is a big problem in this country and across the world. It needs to end. Racism needs to end. Police brutality needs to end. People abusing their power needs to end. And, uh, I'm glad to see so many people in a position of power starting to speak up. And I'm glad to see athletes in particular starting to speak up because enough of this, you know, stick to sports stuff. This is not political whatsoever. If you feel like this is a political topic, you are crazy. This is not political. This is about, you know, being human and being decent. And uh, I think everyone, you know, that I know personally would agree that, you know, this is, this is nothing to do with, with, with politics. This is about, you know, being kind and loving each other and helping each other out. And I would like to believe that that is the core value of minimalism, right? Just at its core, stripping everything away is just being a good person and uh, being happy with what you have, helping others out as much as possible, being a good neighbor, being a good friend, you know, being a good family member and uh, trying to live the most harmonious uh, life and existence as possible. And so uh, I think that that was a good message by you there, TST. I, I think you've learned something, Ariel. Yeah. Uh, I think you are finally realizing the benefits of minimalism. And honestly, I think real change, I think everyone, um, while you know, legislation and governments can write things in the law, I think real change starts from the bottom up. It starts with us. It starts with those tough conversations. It starts with that deep contemplation. I think that's where the change is going to come from. It's on us. And I want all the listeners of the podcast to know that we love you. We accept you no matter what you look like. We love you. Thank you for listening and supporting. Errol, I love you too. Amen. Thank you, TST. I love you too. Most of the time, except for the time that you annoy me, but most of the time you don't. So we shall leave it at that. Thank you very much to TST. Thank you very much to Corporate Jake, who helps us out with the interviews as well these days. Thank you very much to Felicia Spencer, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sanhagen, Tyron Woodley. And thanks, as always, to all of you. Please continue to uh, download, rate, review, subscribe. These things really matter. These things really help us. I really appreciate everyone who continues to do that. And of course... Thank you very much to our good friends over at Modelo Especial and also our good friends over at DraftKings. And most importantly, at the very end, I want to let you all know that TST and I are back on Saturday for another live edition of the Hawani Show on ESPN Radio. We'll be on from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern coast to coast and also if you're not in america or if you don't have access to espn radio if you're overseas don't worry you can listen to it online i always tweet out the link two to five with the ufc 250 preview show we'll be joined by a ton of guests as always plus we'll take your calls it's a lot of fun it's live again two to five p.m eastern that's 11 to 2 p.m pacific and can i get the math right seven to ten gmt and one last reminder be water the 30 for 30 documentary on the great Bruce Lee premieres this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 
only on ESPN. And immediately following the broadcast, go check out my special with the likes of Jorge Masvidal, Israel Adesanya, Zhang Wei Li, and many others talking about his influence on not only themselves as martial artists, but the great sport of MMA as well. That will be a special that will air right after the conclusion of the Bruce Lee documentary. It will be available on ESPN+. Plus. All right, we're out of time. Again, thanks to all of you. Thanks for watching, listening, subscribing, downloading, rating, reviewing, all that stuff and more. Enjoy the fights this week, and I'll talk to you on Saturday.